1975, Chris Claremont and John Byrne were placed in charge of relaunching a dying Marvel comic book called The X-Men. While they brought a number of things to the table as a creative team, I would say the most important and lasting change they made was in establishing the mutant metaphor. Claremont's scripting altered this vague concept of protecting a world that hates and fears them from subtext into supertext. This thin veil of metaphor allowed writers to discuss events like the American Civil Rights Movement, the gay and transgender rights movements, opposition to the Red Scare, and to American wars during the time period without risking overt censorship for being too explicit or too political. X-Men's mutant metaphor was my first real experience with this style of allegory, but concepts like it are hardly exclusive to the pages of comic books. About 10 years before Claremont ended up in the writer's seat, my father was peering through that same veil of metaphor. Only for him, it was through the viewpoint of a starship. You know the starship. I'm talking about the NCC-1701. No A, no B, and certainly not E. The original USS Enterprise. Star Trek was easy enough to understand for a child, and, and it's easy to fall in love with too. And the writing carried a series of impactful and, for the time, rare messages in what appeared to simply be the fantasy adventures of a starship crew. Since the 60s, Star Trek has seen revival after revival. It often attempts to hold a mirror up to society, showing us what we are and what we could be. But at some point during the 90s, it became less and less about showing us a future, and more about providing a comfortable reflection of the present. Considering the many setbacks of Voyager, the episodes of Enterprise that seemed to exist solely for the purpose of comforting Americans about the invasion of Iraq, and the early aspects of Discovery that seemed to pivot in the opposite direction of a progressive acceptance of other cultures, it's interesting to me that Star Trek is finally starting to feel like it's done being wishy-washy. Like it has something to say again, something that matters, and they don't care who gets pissed off about it. Especially when other media seems to be doubling down on escapist fantasy. So strap yourselves into the SRS Morrison, because today we've been given clearance by the Department of Temporal Investigations to beam aboard Pike's Enterprise in the year 2258, so that we can take a closer look at Star Trek Strange New Worlds. Energize. Let's start this party with a bang! <laughs> I am Diana Themyscira. This looks like a job for Superman. Now we face doom. Lightning attack! I ain't popped no one's head off since Lobo! You are helpless against my power, X-Men! Let's go, bub. It's rare that I take the time to discuss a single installment of something on transmissions from another Earth. I like to keep these mini-sodes light and breezy, and a deep dive on a single episode of something rarely constitutes either of those things. Unless you're a pervert like me who passes time by listening to multiple hour-long video essays for fun. Anyhow, I've been catching up on Star Trek Strange New Worlds these past couple weeks, and I haven't been able to get the episode Ad Astra Per Aspera out of my head. 
In fact, the more I think about it, the more I realize just how applicable it is to current events. In this episode, Lieutenant Commander Una Chin Riley is on trial before a Starfleet court, because she has been discovered to possess illegal genetic modifications. Rather than terraforming planets and forcing environments to change for their habitability, her people, the Illyrians, believe in changing their own bodies so that they might better survive in hostile places. As a result, many of them have incredibly diverse visible characteristics and physiological capabilities. Years prior, the Federation fought a long and bloody conflict known as the Eugenics Wars, the result of which outlawed genetic manipulation and modifications for a good reason. Now, I doubt that I have to explain to anybody listening that eugenics is bad, but it is because of the laws that came about in response to the eugenics wars that Illyrians are outcasts in Federation space. When they're recognizable as Illyrians, that is. You see, Unachin Riley passes as human, and she's had the luxury to remain in stealth for the entire time she's worked within Starfleet. It isn't until her genetic modifications allow her to survive an otherwise deadly contagion that she's outed, which of course led to fear, scorn, and her eventual arrest pending trial. Una is a decorated officer, but the moment she's out, Starfleet begins to question whether or not she can be trusted, whether or not it seemed like she may have been hiding something from her friends and family aboard the Enterprise. Her own lawyer, a fellow Illyrian, disdainfully says, You had your playtime acting like one of them. Just accept your dismissal, take your licks, and go home. To which she responds, No, I shouldn't have to hide anymore. None of us should have to hide. As the trial begins, it becomes immediately clear. The law will be dispassionately enforced in such a way that it protects those who enforce the status quo and that it prosecutes those who desperately need protection under it. Illyrian refugees are allowed to live within the protective mantle of the state so long as they agree to conform to its standards of living, refuse their cultural practices, cease changing their bodies in the ways that they require for survival. Some are willing and able to comply, but many are not, and those who can't are exiled for it. The Illyrians who don't pass are forced to suffer without the infrastructure that exists to support and care for Federation citizens, and those who can are unable to visit doctors for fear of being discovered and reported for it. Even rumors of one's status as an augmented being can be dangerous and life-threatening in the face of a law that encourages and emboldens the wider population to prejudiced action. The courtroom drama is a tried-and-true piece of the Star Trek episodic formula, and they are often some of the most beloved and memorable episodes for that reason, particularly when they discuss politics, personhood, and the nuanced application of law. And where the mutant metaphor often fails to encapsulate nuance with consistency, Star Trek's alien metaphor is allowed to shine because a being, a culture, or civilization can be specifically written and tailored for the thing they are trying to hold a mirror to. Which makes it really, really difficult to read this episode as anything other than a criticism of the reactionary politics that we're seeing take hold across the country. When I see 
we're preventing genocide and protecting society held up as a means to do harm to other and to restrict a group of people's control over their own bodies, it's hard not to think of the home I narrowly escaped from. As I record this episode, places like Texas are in the process of creating laws that target trans people's access to gender-affirming care and our ability to publicly discuss trans issues and express ourselves in public spaces. Lawmakers want to widen the scope of mandatory reporting laws, which would force therapists and doctors to report the parents of transgender kids for abuse if they seek life-saving treatment for their children's gender dysphoria. They want to force those who have already received treatment in the form of puberty blockers or hormone therapy to be weaned off of treatment until they are of an appropriate age to decide for themselves. And they want to punish medical professionals and parents for helping. When I transitioned, I had to effectively arrive at my appointments equipped to tell the doctor how to treat me, where she could find information about hormone replacement therapy, and the side effects that I would be experiencing if I underwent treatment. Things have gotten much better for trans folks in the past 10 or so years, and this insidious bullshit would undo so much of that progress. Even if these laws don't pass, or if they get overturned, it's going to be damaging. It's going to create a situation where another generation of healthcare professionals are unused to treating trans patients, and because they'll be unused to treating us, they'll be more likely to turn us down when we need their help. In the end, Star Trek is aspirational. It tries to depict a world where radical empathy and understanding will always win out over regressive and reactionary ideology. Even so, this episode still ends on a technicality. Due to later aspects of the continuity, the Federation does not overturn its unjust law, but it does agree to allow Una status as a refugee under the protection of the state, without also forcing her to conform. Now, I don't like that we are back to a position of having to claw and scream for every baby step we take towards progress, but I can at least respect that the writers of this episode didn't just pitch a happily ever ending where nothing was ever wrong and nobody had to fight. Because that's simply not how things work in reality. Anywho, 2023 is calling, and it's time for us to head back to the SRS Morrison. Much as I wish we could stay in the spacefaring post-scarcity socialist future, escapism isn't going to solve the world's ills. And even in Star Trek, things had to get way worse before they could finally get better. Speaking of things getting way worse, we have a Patreon, which can be found at patreon.com backslash totallytrans, where if you back us $2 or more per month, you'll get access to all of our episodes a week early. If you back us at $3 or more, you'll be able to listen to our cool bonus content and see videos of us as we record our weekly bullshitting sessions. And at $5 or more, you'll be able to join our Totally Trans Discord server where you can tell me about how I'm wrong about the various things that I fucked up. In. You can talk Star Trek at me and I'll, my eyes will glaze over. Anyhow, Transmissions from Another Earth is a Totally Trans Podcast Network production, so please like and subscribe to Totally Trans wherever you get your podcasts so that you never miss an episode. And please like and rate our episodes because we live in a nightmare cyberpunk oligopoly where every we we don't live in the Star Trek future. Please, please tell us how good we're doing. Um and if you leave a review, I'll even read it on this podcast. Yeah.
This Transmissions from Another Earth episode was written, edited, and hosted by Jacqueline Clyde, who can be found at where underscore wife over on Twitter. As always, our theme music is called Inspiring 8-Bit by Phil Dillo, which we found over on Pixabay, and our opener is a remix of the very same song done by Ada Rhodes. Thanks, Phil. Thanks, Ada. You guys did a great job. Anyhow, transmission over. Okay, actually, hang on. Not, not the NX, not the, not the, not the Archer one. I, I, I mean, specific. Okay, if you're, if you're this pedantic, fuck you. No, I'm talking about the one from the original series. Energize.